is Mark 2, 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, thank you very much, Jill. And if you guys have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open to Mark chapter 2. If you've got a Bible in front of you, grab, grab one of those Bibles in front of the, the, the pews. If you want to find one, this is the time of year where we go through a gospel. And I highly, highly encourage you to be, uh, to be reading along with us. Uh, so here's what we're, this one's going to be really simple, okay? This week I'm covering Mark chapter 2. Guess which chapter I'm going to cover next week? Yes, Mark chapter 3. And then the week after that's going to be Mark chapter... So this one's going to be really easy to follow. So I'd encourage you, so here's what I'd love for you to do, and those of you, oh, by the way, Donna, uh, Jean, could you tell me um, in just a minute who else we got on Facebook? I was trying to look that up myself, and I, I wasn't doing a very good job. So good, good morning to Putt this morning who's watching on Facebook. Good morning to Jake who's watching on Facebook, and Leanne, and uh, good morning to Leanne who's mentioned a prayer request as well. We see anybody else? Okay, all right. So, so good morning to all of you who are joining us this morning. And so for you guys that are hearing this, um, so next, next week I'll be in Mark 3. Um, during announcements, uh, and uh, during announcements I'll, I'll say if you guys would have any questions through Mark 3, well, I'd love to open each message by addressing those questions if I don't get into it uh, with the message. And so we'll do that just simply through text messages or having some note cards. I'll have some note cards when you guys come in, having some note cards on there before I begin the message. So just a little something we can do to be a little bit more interactive through this series um, as we go through the Gospel of Mark. So next week, we will be covering Mark chapter 3. All right? Um, hey, I, I, found, I heard a joke I told, my, uh, I told Daisy yesterday that she hasn't been able to quit telling other people. So I think it's pretty good, all right? has nothing to do with my message today, but it's one I think you're going to take with you. You ready? All right. How, how do you catch a unique rabbit? Dag on it, you guys. All right, for everybody else that hasn't heard, unique up on it, okay? But how do you catch a tame rabbit? Don't say it. Let me do it. How do you catch a tame rabbit? Tame way, unique up on it, all right? So, uh, you guys can do whatever you want with that one, okay? Um, um, it has nothing to do with today's message. But dang it, I'm really upset that already 75% of the church today had already heard it. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into uh, the Word of God this morning. And I'm going to need to grab my, my Bible out of my bag before I do that as well. But let's begin uh, as we let's have a word of prayer uh, before we get into Mark chapter 2. Well, Lord, thank you for the privilege to share your word today. As we are a few this morning, uh, we're reminded of what it was like to be the first church, how these people gathered together in fear of their very lives, but there was something about being with others that shared similar purposes and had been, and their lives had been changed and they'd been re renewed by the gospel of Christ. And so today, and we never take even moments like this for granted to hear your word and know that at moments like this, we are the problem. The gospel never is. And we must always be open and ready and willing to change. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to actually cover all of Mark chapter 2, but I'm not going to read 
um, all of Mark chapter 2 this morning. I'm just going to highlight a few portions, but there, and I don't plan to do that throughout this series to try and teach through a whole chapter, but sometimes, even like it did last week, there is this, this theme that remains consistent throughout um, the, the passage. And the theme that I see uh, in this text, I'm going to call, entitle this message, With Crossed Arms. All right, this is the attitude that you see the Pharisees have throughout this message. Now, you know, we all kind of understand what the crossed arms body language means. And we oftentimes we do this and we don't mean to do it. I know I'm more likely to stand cross-armed if I, I if you notice, I can't stand still. It's a problem of mine. I either have to sit down, I have to lean up against something, um, uh, or, or, or my hand is going to be moving. I'm going to be fidgeting with something. So the only way, if I really, really have to stand still, that's what I'll do. I'll stand like this with my arms crossed to balance out everything. But crossed arms, we understand this body language is, is there's, there's a number of reasons, possible reasons why someone might cross their arms. And this is just some, some, some interesting things I noticed just, just from, from looking some things up. It said, could be due to being cold to soothe anxiety or stress to release some of the tension in our body, to protect ourselves when feeling vulnerable, to signal displeasure, disagreement, or they could be mirroring, or it could be to encourage others to go away. And this is oftentimes, we, I, this isn't news to you, like you, you, you understand at times why maybe you do it, and that could fit the category, but you also understand when you see someone with arms crossed, those kind of things go through your mind as well. And so I call this, uh, you know, with crossed arms, because you're going to see four different instances in this passage when Jesus does amazing things, and you consistently see the Pharisees standing there. You know, they don't even say their arms are crossed, but they have that attitude as they're watching all this with crossed arms. And so the reason I do this, because all of us cross our arms for whatever silly reason, for, you know, for maybe it's one of those reasons, but when we talk about religious people, when we talk about Pharisees in Scripture, let's, we always tend to put ourselves on the other side. Well, I'm with Jesus. I'm with the disciples. I would never be like that. If Jesus was moving in my midst, I would never be the guy standing up with his arms crossed, watching Jesus do all these things and, and finding a reason to accuse him. But the eternal reality is that both sides are true. We, are both, we, we often live in both worlds all the time where we really are the religious ones being in some ways opponents to what God is doing in our midst. And so we've got to find ourselves in this story and not just assume we're on the disciple side. Uh, and you're going to see how this, how, how this can very well apply uh, to you in different ways. And so we've got to see ourselves on both sides of the story and ask ourselves, is, if God is moving in our midst, what is my attitude towards it? And so I want to begin in the first one that we, we notice in Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. Crossed, oh, I was about to pick up glasses that aren't mine. These have been up here for forever. If anybody notices a pair of glasses missing, there has been a pair. We've asked this before, but I guess we'll let it be up here for three years, and then maybe we'll do something with them. But they've been up here for a while. But um, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. The first thing we notice is that the Pharisees have crossed arms to healing and authority. So the story, the first section in Mark chapter 2, 
verses uh, 1 through 12, is we see this instance where Jesus is, is preaching. He's spe- speaking to a few people um, inside a man's home. And then so people wanted to bring this guy, a paralyzed man, but they, they couldn't get close to him because the house was so crowded. And so they made a hole on this guy's roof and lowered, not theirs, there's somebody else owns this house. They made a hole in the roof of this house, and they lowered Jesus, lowered this, this paralyzed man down to Jesus. And, and, and the Pharisees, as Jesus is doing this, well, let me tell you what he said first. Jesus says, go, your sins have been forgiven. He didn't say, the first thing he didn't say was pick up your mat and walk. He said, go, your sins have been forgiven. And when he said that, that ticked the Pharisees off. Who, how does this guy think he has authority to forgive sins? And so Jesus addresses that attitude. Jesus addresses that way that they were thinking. And he said, it would have been easier, much easier for me to just say, get up your mat and walk. But I said that for you. So at some point, you're going to recognize that I am exactly who I say that I am. Now, I want you to find yourself in this story. I read a devotional on this passage this morning, too, and imagine you're the owner of this house. Imagine you're the owner of this house, and somebody said so what they would used to do is they, they kind of had, they would put like, uh, what did they say it was, the, the, the first layer, and then they would actually put earth, they would put dirt like over top of that layer, and then they would just put a hole, so they put a hole, they went through the dirt and, and the layer that was on there, and they lowered this guy through the roof. I mean, imagine all these people are in your home. And these guys just put a hole in your roof, and this incredible miracle, this guy that has been paralyzed as long as they can remember, gets up his mat and walks out your house. God is doing something, but for many people that were there, for the Pharisees as well, it was incredibly inconvenient. And here's the line. Here's what they say in, in um, Mark 6, 2 through 7. It says, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming, and who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, within this story, we also see this idea. We see two different types of people. We see the people on the roof. We see the people in the crowd, but we also see the Pharisees. So remember last week's message was the crowd and the call, being able to press through the crowd, and that's exactly what these people did. But... I I want you to notice this happens all of the time. That There are people that are wanting to get people to Jesus. And there are other religious people that whether they mean to or not, they're keeping other people from coming to Jesus. And these religious people in this story, they're really frustrated because it's not the way that they want it to happen. The Son of God is coming in front of, is, is is, is performing miracles right in front of them, but it's not on their terms. It's not the way they wanted it. It's not the way that they liked it. And see, what's interesting is that today, I personally feel like America, we've become a post-evangelistic culture. Meaning that most people in some fashion have heard the gospel, but oftentimes their perspective, even if whether they've been to church or not, their perspective of the gospel is most cases based on someone else. It's based on what someone else's did, what someone else's Christianity looks like. And from that, they've made their choices of whether this is something this is real for me or not. And, and so with that, we have to, 
Because I really do believe that's true in our country today. So we have to ask ourselves question, am I one of those people? Am I one of those people that are confusing a lot of people? We say, come to my church, come be a Christian, come be like me. Or, or is that something that, that other people welcome? And it, it says a lot, are we the kind of people that are bringing others to Jesus? Or are we, be the, are we the kind of people that are keeping others from him? Whether it be through our words, through our lifestyle, or through our own religion, as the Pharisees did, that, we could, that they couldn't allow God to do a new work within their midst. The next thing, the next piece we see in this chapter comes in, in section uh, verses 13 through 17. In my NIV, it says, Jesus calls Levi and eats with sinners. And what we see in this text is crossed arms to eating with sinners. So here's what they ask in verse 16. It says, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So here is this son of God you know, that he's claiming to be eating with sinners and tax collectors, and that was not the norm. That was not something that they were supposed to do. The Pharisees, based on their fences, not upon the actual law, based upon the fences, which meant things that they do. You didn't want to break the law, so the Pharisees created all these fences, these things you do to keep yourself from ever breaking the law. Eating with tax collectors and sinners, that was a big, big no-no. But here Jesus is hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. And he's right in front of them again, and they still do not recognize who he is. I always think about this passage because it happens to us all the time. There's, there are many people that their version of faith has been religion. It's been, I've been told these things, and I've done these things in church all my life, and, I, and this is just, this is the way it's worked for me. But I want to take you to the story of Paul, Paul the Apostle. This was Paul. He was passionately religious. And you see, he made sacrifices to do the things that he did. And yeah, he put a lot of people to death in the name of God because he truly ardently felt it was the right thing to do according to the law, according to his religion. But then something happened to him in Acts chapter 9 where he had an encounter with Christ. He had something personal happened to him. I got to tell you, church, this is the heart of what this salvation message has always been about, is your personal experience with the living God. Because without it, Jesus could be right in front of you. The Lord could be working right in front of you. And even with your own good intentions and your own religion, you could be resisting it rather than recognizing the character and nature of God and allowing him to do something in your midst. So we always... And, and so the universal question, this is, this is a, the scripture that, that Jill read this morning that is put so well. Here's what Jesus says when he's accused. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I want you to let that sink in for a minute. 
Because that applies to you right now in this moment. If you are righteous, if you've arrived somewhere, if you've got it all figured out, if you can say, look at my track record in religion. Look at how consistently I've attended church. I am righteous. God doesn't have nothing for you anymore. But the moment when we can identify someone who is in need of a Savior in this moment, that's where calling comes. That's where we're reminded of conviction that the Lord says, I'm not done with you yet. I'm ready to keep working in, in, in your life. And so what a, what a word to meditate, what a verse to meditate upon. It is not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. And then th- this, this point is key. But so, so he's focusing on people that really need it. But here's the key part I want you to remember. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So we must always find ourselves as people that, that, that need a Savior, that are willing to draw near to the living God in any moment. The moment that we say that I've got this all figured, that's not a moment where we realize we're blessed, a moment where we realize that we've been given all that we need, where we have joy. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's the life and the sweetness we're supposed to have as disciples of Christ. But the moment when we, when we say that I've got it all figured out, that I'm righteous, this is where we no longer, and whether we realize it or not, we've pushed away the living God in our life. The next one says, they have crossed arms to new wine. Now, the story here is they're being asked of why aren't they fasting? Why aren't they fasting in this moment? And then Jesus then goes on to talk about fasting, and he also talks about new wine. But I want to read verse 18. Here's here's where the crossed arms are. It says, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? So Jesus gives gives the answer to fasting, and then he gives an answer. He gives another metaphor with with new wine and old wine skits. So I want you to capture, hopefully you understand this fasting piece. Pretty simply put, Jesus is saying that he's with them, Okay. Fasting is a symbol of mourning, but more than that, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a season where we're trying to gain God's perspective. It's a time of prayer where we're trying to gain the perspective of Christ. Okay, this is what it is. I'm speaking more New Testament language now rather than Old Testament language. It's a little bit different in the Old Testament. So in other words, Jesus is right in front of them. Where do you think the best place to get the perspective of Jesus is? From Jesus himself, Okay. But he's saying that there would be a time coming when the bridegroom would no longer be, would no longer be together. Okay? And at that time, they would need to fast, and they would need to push some other things away in their life to gain the perspective of Christ, to, to see what the Lord is calling them to do in this season. But then Jesus also says something about this idea of new revelation and this new thing that God is doing, that if we, he talks about what happens when you put new wine into old wineskins. These things were made out of goat skins. They would kind of get to be like stiff and shriveled. And if you would put new wine in there, the gas from that wine would burst the new wineskins. And saying that, in other words, that these people in front right now, the Pharisees in front of him, they weren't ready for new revelation. They weren't ready for the new wine. They were crossing their arms in that moment, to the new wine. Now, last, the last one. Oh, I know. What I'm, so this is what happens, this new wine thing. 
This is what happens when we want the gospel to always be about someone else. They need to hear this message. They need to come to church. When the message that we're hearing, when the words of Scripture, they're for someone else, but they allow us to remain the same, and it's someone else that needs to change. What I'm trying to tell you, church, is that the new word, the new revelation, is always for you. God wants to speak into your life today through his scriptures, through, through, through a sermon, but through new revelation, if you will only let him. It's not just for someone else. It's always for you. And finally, the last thing we see in this passage, call it crossed arms and human need. So this is what's happening now. Um, Jesus and disciples, they begin to pick some of the heads of the grain, and, and they're, they're doing this on the Sabbath because so now that it looks like work. And Jesus goes and gives an illustration of what David did when he is, his companions were hungry. His point is that you guys have this religious, you have these religious ideas of what you're not supposed to do on the Sabbath, but these people are hungry and they are in need of sustenance. And otherwise, the key point is human need is more important um, than, than your religion, in other words. So they had crossed arms to human need. Now, I'm not talking about human want, human entitlement. But human need is more important than our religion. Let's consider how that applies. Let's consider how that applies even to us in these moments. That there are people right in front of us, whether they're in this congregation, whether they're outside of these walls, that need us to be present with them. Whether... Whether they, whatever kind of language it is they use, whatever kind of lifestyle it is that they have, however far away it seems like they are from the living God, we are the ones that are anointed that are in the sacred space to be present with them in that moment. And in that moment, our, our ability to, to be able to, to, to serve someone, our ability to be able to be sustenance for someone is greater than anything, than, than, than our religion, anything that we think we can't do to serve someone else. Now, this is such a big thing. I want to let you consider and think and, and apply that in your own way. But I want to close by asking us this, this, this question now. I just want to encourage you as we, we close this morning and close your eyes and bow your heads this morning. I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to be uncomfortable. Everybody's heads bows, everybody's eyes closed. All right? And you're not going to see even anybody do this if, you, if, you, if your eyes are closed. But let's go ahead for now. First, let's all cross our arms. Let's all cross our arms. I don't care who you are, because this includes me right now. There's always these things where we're just not ready to let God work in our life. And as your symbol of hearing the message this morning, your gesture of saying, yes, Lord, I hear you. I'm going to do something really crazy for some of you. And just simply lift two hands in the air is surrender. See, that's the universal sign of surrender. That says, yes. Some of you haven't even wait for me to tell you you're already doing it. Half the church is already doing it. Everybody, if, you're, if you feel ready, you feel ready, you receive what the Lord's telling you to do, just lift up your hands and surrender. And now, Lord, may this word be as your presence with them that reminds each and everyone here that I am not done with you yet. And as you continue to let me and surrender to my will and work in your life, 
rather than guard and cross the arms and be closed off. I will do things that you can never think or imagine. Not, 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 because you're, not because there were moments where you resisted me so strong, but in moments like this, I've, I, I have been, you've allowed me to yield to, to the spirit of God that is already within you. You learn just how much the power and the presence of God is with us. So, Lord, all across this church, may you do a new work and bring forth that new wine in our congregation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll invite you to stand this morning for your benediction. May you hear the call to a sinful people in need of a Savior and with open arms receive a new word of change in your life that you will apply and bear the fruit of the kingdom of God. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week.